You should invite some to your table because they are deserving, and others because they may come to deserve it. This is the Yoakum Strength Podcast with me, your host, Austin Yoakum. On this episode of the podcast, we have Cody Hughes. Cody is a sports performance professional currently working at the high school level in Madison, Alabama. He is a former college baseball player turned strength coach with experience at the Division I and Division II collegiate level, as well as years of experience in the private sector. Today, Cody takes us down the rabbit holes of KPIs versus KPAs, why I believe strength is the number one thing we should all be chasing, and how he has perfected the art of interviews and communication. I took a ton of notes on this podcast on business training and life, and I hope you guys get as much out of this podcast as I did. Thank you guys for listening. Keep chopping wood. Before we hit the intro music, I wanted to introduce to you guys the Yoakum Strength Insider. The Yoakum Strength Insider is our online training platform that takes all of the ideas that we talk about on this podcast and implements them into a program that is available to you at the touch of your fingers. Our goal with the Yoakum Strength Insider is to create better movers, to level up your life, and to move forward from where you are. We do this in a holistic fashion. Not only will you receive a program that has helped hundreds of people become better movers, you'll also receive access to our app that allows you to track everything, has video links for all exercises, and allows you to be in constant communication with a Yoakum Strength Coach. Along with this, you'll get our 30-page PDF nutrition and lifestyle guidelines that includes everything from what to eat, how much of it to eat, why we're eating it, meditation habits, and other lifestyle habits that we implement with our clients to really level up their lives. If you're interested in trying out one of these programs, use Podcast 25 in the discount section right before you pay for 25% off your first program. Boom. This is the Yoakum Strength Podcast. Take the leap down the rabbit hole with us as we interview elite-level guests to unravel what high performance really is. All right, well, Coach, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to have you here. Man, thanks for having me. I've been listening to your podcast for a while, man. I've been a big fan. Um, honestly, I had no idea that you followed me till you hit me up because I've been following you probably a lot longer than you've been following me, so it's an honor to be here, man. Yeah, I've been following you on Twitter, seeing all the cool stuff that you're putting out there. Um, and we, we, we just talked briefly right before we hit recording about kind of our topics. But like, I, I really like the, the philosophy that you put out uh, and, and the, the fact that you're at the high school level. I talked about how like I feel like the high school level is where you kind of have that biggest impact on an athlete's career. For sure, for my, for my physical development, my, my high school head coach for sure had the biggest impact on my physical development. I think that's such a cool kind of point in an athlete's life that you can have an effect on not just physically, but also just setting them up to like, all right, there's, there's two different paths. Like that's a massive spot in their lives where they can pick two different pathways and you can kind of be hopefully a guiding light to make them pick a better pathway in there. Um, so talk about some of those things with us. And I'm super excited to talk about some of the social media and podcasts. And you and I kind of ranted about taxes yesterday on some of the, <laughs> some of the business stuff that we, we have going on with, um, with some of the uh, the side and ex revenue sources that you get from doing all the social media stuff and having a business, but I'm just pumped to have you on. Yeah, man, I'm excited to be here. High school levels where it's at, man. Especially me, I've I've landed in an extremely fortunate situation. You know, I took a leap of faith about two years ago and started, you know, promoting myself online and started selling things, and it really took off. And there's a lot of lessons in between there too. So, you know, I'm in my fifth year at the high school level and. To, to make it seem like almost like a lifetime journey of lessons I've already made. It's funny, like you talk about my journey where I went from college baseball player, 2016, I went, uh, let's see, three months intern, nine months full-time 
D1 assistant director. Uh, no, sorry, sorry. I went three months intern, nine months GA, nine months division one assistant director at a division one, right? So you're looking at nine, 18, 20, 21, 22 months, almost two years. And then I went, moved to Colorado, did some private sector work, was only there for five months and then got the chance to come here. So I've been here for over twice as long as that, but I had that really quick boom, 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 boom. And now I've been at the high school level for five years and just looking back on the growth and overall of what I've done, man, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. It's been a really great experience. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. You, you kind of got all those. And that, I like talking to coaches about yourself. It's kind of like you get that whole, that whole experience. Like you get the private sector experience for a little bit. You get the, maybe the smaller division uh, three level experience or that GA experience. You get the big division one role. And now you're back at that high school and you kind of get all these experiences to grab from what was kind of, what was kind of that journey like? Where like was it just you're you're rolling through with the punches and it's like, okay, this opportunity presented itself. All right, now this opportunity presented itself. Or was it more of so for me, it was more of like I'm just kind of I approached it kind of the corporate ladder of like, I'm going to like climb this ladder and take this step and take this step. And now I because I wanted to be the big time division one strength coach. Um, and then I realized quickly, like, that's not what I wanted at all. Like, what was that kind of journey for you? And how'd you end up at that high school level, even though you kind of reached what a lot of if you have a GA listening right now or an intern listening right now, like they, they want to be that uh, division one strength coach. Like what was that process for you and how'd you end up at that high school level? Well, I want to make sure I, I set the, set the record straight. It took a lot of introspect for me to find this answer I'm about to give you because I had to deal with some, with some identity issues as I've, as I've grown, you know, and I look back at it. Like I, I played division two baseball where you play in front of 40 people, you know, every <laughs> in your games, nobody comes to your games. I went to a liberal arts university where you're playing college baseball. Yes, you're getting some scholarship money, but like you're playing it because you love because you love it. There's no entertainment value like at these division ones where it's huge. You wear this brand and, and you feel valued. And I wanted that really bad and didn't get that opportunity. Well, when I went to Mississippi State to be an intern, it overwhelmed me because I wore that that Mississippi State, that SEC type title on me and made me made myself feel important and gave me this faux status. I was a volunteer intern. But it, it made me feel greater than I even went to my GA interview, which was at a division two university and they didn't have near the resources. And I judged it really hard because I thought I was better. Like I, I didn't realize it at the time, but now when I look back and look at it, I'm like, Holy cow, I really did that. So my original thought was when I went to Mississippi state, I want to be a division one sec head strength coach. That's, that's what I want to be. I want to be a part of football, baseball, basketball, something. I want to be the big time and didn't realize that I was chasing status than I was than anything. And as I started to go through that journey, you got to understand in my personal life too, I got engaged as I went into my graduate assistantship. I got married between my graduate assistantship, and my first full-time job. My wife and I got married, went on our honeymoon, came home, moved 12 hours away to Southwest Louisiana and lived together for the first time ever. We'd, we'd always been long distance. And figured it out. You know, I was a division one assistant director for $28,000 a year and thought I was something. And as I began to work and realize my, I know I've got my wife to take care of. We don't have family around. I'm working 80 to 90 hour weeks. I'm on the road. You know, it's Monday, it's Monday through Sunday. We're traveling. We've got the red shirts on Sunday afternoons. I've got three other sports for less than $30,000 a year. And I just kept asking myself, is this really what it takes? Like, is this really the climb that you got to go? And I witnessed a couple other things. I won't say names, but I witnessed some other tactical moves that 
people as I started to meet on how to get to these places. And it almost seemed like very political seemed like, wow, you, you had to stoop to that level to get this position. And, and I, I just wasn't really into that, man. I wasn't really into kissing people's ass and, and doing that sort of thing. So I decided if another opportunity presented itself, I would do it. And the private sector opportunity to Colorado presented itself. And I, I thought high school would always be a good route. I've always seen it. You know, I followed guys like Gary Schofield and, and the guys that have always been around the high school realm and thought that'd be a cool opportunity. But I was, and, and at that point when I moved to Colorado, I was like, if that opportunity comes about, I'd love to take it. But I just, I don't know how you get into a high school job. Like, how does that even happen? You don't just apply to it. I don't have a teaching certificate. None of that. Well, I was in Colorado and then that, that was an absolute dumpster fire. Um, I, I, to say the least, right. I took a $32,000 job in, in Denver, Colorado, where my rent went from 1300 to 1750, went from a three bedroom house to 600 square foot, one bedroom apartment. Um, talk about some hard lessons. And my wife probably doesn't like me very much for making that decision, but Colorado was awesome. Loved the area, private sector place I worked at wasn't really worth anything, but I saw the school where I'm at now. I knew the guy that was here. They had a full-time strength coach before me. And I just like started digging. I was like, Hey, he's leaving. What's, what's the situation? And I have to happen to have a connection through my resume. And then I didn't reckon, realize it, but I had deep family connections through my wife's family. My wife's uncle was a baseball coach in the area who coached against the AD here for so long. It was a really cool connection. I got an interview and I was like, I'll never forget. I was get on that plane coming back to Alabama and I was like, I am not leaving this freaking state without I'm about to hammer this interview. Like, there's no way I'm getting out of here without them giving me the job. And I, I still to this day, this sounds really arrogant, but I've never interviewed for a job in person that I haven't been offered. Not once. I even had the AD at McNeese State when I was interviewing as a low-level, entry-level coach who said that I was the most prepared interviewer he had ever seen. And he was an athletic director at Division One University. Not to toot my own horn, but when I wanted something, I absolutely went and got it. So we moved here in May of 2018. And it took every dime of our pockets to get here. It took everything. Like, I'll never forget. We moved here in May of 2018. My birthday's in June. Um, all I had really enough was enough money to buy a 99-cent Jello packet at Publix to celebrate my birthday because I hadn't gotten paid yet. And we didn't have anything. We maxed out credit cards just to get here. And we were just going to make some shake. Like, I knew this is where we are going to be. I knew it was a good situation. It was more money. It's closer to family. We just got to take this risk. And it was the best decision I ever made. Been here five years now. I've expanded um, greatly. You know, we've added so many resources. I've added a full-time assistant here. Like we have two cert, like full-time strength coaches here at the high school that are administrators and everybody really value. So there was a lot of lessons in there. That journey happened so fast. A lot of hard lessons that, you know, moving across the country, spending money, dragging your wife around and just wondering like, when, what, is this even worth it? You know, and I, once I got here and realized the high school level was really stable and I can really make an impact like you were talking about, I knew that this is where I wanted to be. That's freaking awesome. That that journey's sweet. And I, I like emphasizing one, one of the things I like about your story is you, you actually list the numbers because people talk about like the struggle of the division one or the struggle of the college strength coaching world. And you listed the numbers of the salary and I, we were the same way. It was like I, I, at when we got bumped up to division one level. Um, we got brought into the office and it was like, this is going to be this big, like raise thing. And this big, like talk about it. And, like we're bumping you to, um, from 20 to 25,000. And like, and it was, it was in this, like, it was in this AD meeting It's where it's like, and yes, it was a raise and like, you're grateful for the raise, but it was like in the way that they were saying it, it was like, they own you. They know they own you <laughs> and they're doing it. Like they're telling you about this raise. Like, um, like you should almost bow down to them for this raise. And I'm like, Oh man, like 25,000, but having your, 
having you talk about that story, I, I, I find very valuable for people that are listening to this podcast. It's like, think about the think about the future and like what you are really willing to do to get to that future. And, and like when yeah. you do see like, and it's not even big time division one places, but a lot of like, even like any of the college route, like, and it, this is any job anywhere. It's not just college strength conditioning, but the politics that have to go into play and just paying attention to kind of what you're going to have to do to get to where you want to get and paying attention to like, is, is what you're chasing really what you want to be chasing? Like you talked about chasing that respect. And I was doing, I was doing chasing the kind of letters on your name and I was doing the same thing. And it was kind of just this pipeline dream that I, that I envisioned in my head of like, I want that division one strength coach because I had looked up to a division one strength coach or something along those lines. It's like, it's like, why? And can you have that same exact impact that, and that's, I think that's what another thing is like, looking a little bit deeper on why you want that role is it, it for me it was like the impact that i wanted to have and and the the ability to have impact on athletes and it's like you can have that impact wherever you're at like wherever you're at you can have that same exact impact and probably more and that, that that's where like you don't need that huge division one title to have the impact that you're actually searching for but spending the time to realize why you're searching for that yeah yeah no doubt i, I definitely wanted the status i I mean, I, I was easy to connect with people when I talked, I would, I would say the right things. Right. But if I'd actually dig into my heart and go, no, I wanted to be known as that dude. And I kind of still have a little bit of that in me. I have a little bit of arrogance about me and people see that probably, you know, played out on Twitter and stuff. Cause I'm not, I'm, I don't back down from a conversation, but it's at the end of the day, like I want to, I've shifted my mindset now that I, I do want to make a lasting impact, but I also want to help people, but I also want to help my family. I also want to be a value I want to be able to provide something, leave a legacy and do, and just be, just be a master of this craft, you know, whatever this is. And some people can call that arrogant. Some people can say you're not humble because you're not truly about what you do. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but humility doesn't pay my bills, you know, but it also, I think too many coaches are too, they, they call themselves humble, but they're just scared. Like they're not actually humble. They're just scared to death or insecure. Cause at the end of the day, if you get results and you're good at your job, you need to stand for that value and 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 show and demonstrate that value. You can't just you can't just yap your mouth. This this value has to be demonstrated. You have to serve your people. You have to show that I'm valuable and then when somebody comes calling, it's not by mistake. Right? I do a really good job here. I want to show you how I do this job based on how you want to evaluate me. I've come a long way on that. I didn't have a clue about any of negotiation tactics or or understanding how to demonstrate value to administrators who have no clue how to evaluate your job. No idea. No idea how to qualify somebody when you interview somebody. Like if you're going to go to an interview, it's your job to qualify the place if you're a good fit. You can't just, oh, I'm just going to answer all the questions as if they need to be answered and hope that they give me an offer. Like that's usually how people get stuck in jobs and then they're miserable. Instead of having experiences, I've had enough experiences and struggles now that I can interview. I can go into an interview and have a huge checklist and know, yeah, this ain't this ain't this ain't gonna be a good fit. Like, and I'm also in a place that I don't want to leave. And this place has continued to to help me, you know, do the four P's. You know, that comes from uh, Kier. I don't know if you've ever heard Kier talk about the four P's. Uh, yeah, I heard it briefly uh, on like, Twitter one time. Yeah, yeah, I believe it's pay, purpose, progression, and personal life. So you know, if you can't pay you better be a master in the other three. You better be able to progress your career and progress the things you're doing. You better have purpose and, and have autonomy and you got to be able to respect your personal life and have enough to where you're not getting burned by both ends of the candles. Right. And I'm in a place that does that. So I've got a lot of leverage and doing the things that I love. So I'm, I'm really fortunate though. Don't, I got lucky. Don't get it twisted. I'm having unbelievable administration here. All former coaches from the president 
principal to AD, all of them that understand championship level. They value this place. My weight room is ridiculous. I have a, I have a play flooring, sore necks, decked out weight room at the high school level that's probably nicer than any 3A high school in the state of Alabama or the southeast. I've got – I'm working on getting force plates. I'm getting a shred mill. People don't know about the shred mill yet. If we can talk about that later. Um, but we do – we track metrics deeper than most colleges don't, you know, because we've – I've shown the value – and my, the people that have come along, the interns, the assistants, we've continued to show and then connected with our head, our sport coaches as well on why all that stuff's important, right? And at the end of the day, we're just over-delivering what I say I'm going to do and demonstrating that where you can't argue it. Too many things are too nebulous these days, I feel like. Coaches are always, yeah, we, we've done this and that. We've gotten stronger. We've gotten faster. And that's really about it. And you can't you can't show me detailed. You can't show me numbers. You can't show me behavioral trends. You can't show me anything that's happening that really makes an impact and can speak the language of that coach. So they go, wow, this dude's really helping us win. This dude's really helping us develop our players. He really connects. He's a culture changer. All of those things that are important, right? So that that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to, one, demonstrate that, but also want to help show coaches how to do it. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I want to go a couple points here. Um, First, you've mentioned this interview a couple times, the, the process that you've gone into an interview and have been called the most prepared and you haven't left an interview without getting a job offer that you've wanted. And we have a lot of young strength coaches listening to the podcast. Could you kind of give them some of the tips you, you talked about being prepared and showing, I think showing your value, like, I, I really, really like that point is because it, it's like, especially, it's like the the people that are actually hiring you really don't like know kind of even what your job is or why they should hire you. They just know they need somebody in there. So kind of how are you going about that process of showing them like, hey, this is how I'm going to provide value and this is why this job's valuable. And how are you going about communicating that to them, but also answering the questions that they have that maybe, you know, just the basic kind of interview like process questions. Like how are you going about that process? One, well, obviously you need to dress the part. That the very first time they're going to look at you, is going to tell a huge story. Clean yourself up. Make sure your hair is fixed. Make sure your beard's lined up. Make sure you look the part. Whatever that means. I'm not saying, you know, be you, right? And whatever that means. Just just understand that when somebody sees your stature and when you walk in how you carry yourself, they're already making assumptions. They're already judging you, right? But inside the inside the interview, the number one thing that I think some interviewees want to do is one, they either don't talk enough and they try to, you know, they don't talk enough or they talk way too much and don't they, they try to talk themselves into it when in reality my most success has been learning how to ask really good questions and letting them talk because at the end of the day you don't know the position very well and you've got to ask good questions and keep making them talk and reveal more info reveal more info but you've got to go into that interview with a with a checklist and a breakdown of what do i value in this job how do I get to these answers? Now, don't just cut walk in and go, all right, I want to work 40 hours a week and I want to make $60,000. And if you can't provide that, I'm walking out the door. You're never going to get that job like that. That's ridiculous, right? That's not how that works. But you can't have that in your head. Know what you want to work. And then as you know, in any job interview, they're going to usually tell you what the job entails. But if you can ask really solid questions and just have them continue to give you more information and expand. And then when they do ask a question about, your philosophy, how you get things done. You better be able to demonstrate what you've done in the past. And I've always put together some type of portfolio that I can hand out. I always have extra, pay the money, go to a FedEx Kinko's or FedEx office, whatever it is, get something nice, put it in a PowerPoint, have it put together that you can present what 
what your values are, how you can provide value to the school and do your homework. If you know the organization, like when I saw this school, I went right on their website. I looked for their mission statement. I looked for their values. I dug through their website in and out. And I started speaking that language as soon as I walked in the door and they were like, holy cow, like this, it's like this dude, I was already here. Right. I made phone calls of people that, Hey, do you know our principal that works here? Oh, you, he coached here. Oh, he played here. Okay. I know the AD, I know the head coach, I know the head football coach. Do you know who the decision maker and the power players are in this interview? Or can you at least guess, can you go in as prepared as possible? So when you start asking questions, you'll start realizing and seeing things happen and then over deliver and absolutely hit the home run when they do ask the question on philosophy. But usually they're not going to make the hire based on philosophy. They're going to make the hire based off feel. Do I like this guy? Do I like his vibe? Do I like his energy? Does he fit our culture? Is he, is he going to fit our team real well? Am I going to be able to trust this guy? Does he seem sure of himself? Does he have confidence? Is he too arrogant? And you know, is he genuine or she, right? Whoever. So that's, that's my biggest tip is be extremely prepared and knowledgeable have your values that you know, and just ask questions and try to get them to talk as much as possible before you go. And I can talk about a book that I read that absolutely changed my life. Um, and there's two, two huge strategies on how to do that. So one of them is mirroring and it's called mirroring and labeling. Okay. Mirroring is simple. Austin, you're interviewing me and you're saying, you know, we expect you to get our guys extremely strong. And I go strong. Can you, can you expand strong? What do you mean by like, what does strong mean to you? And then, okay, oh, well, strong means to us that we would need to be able to fire off the ball on Friday nights. Okay, strong is in how – what's your favorite way to develop strength? Oh, well, we really love the back squat. I'm a huge back squat fan. Okay, boom. That head coach just told you that he's a massive back squat fan. Maybe you need to revisit whether or not that's a non-negotiable if that's not in your philosophy. Okay, that's revealing that to me. So I'm, I'm mirroring to get it going. You know what I'm saying? The next one is labeling. So whenever somebody says something you want to, that you might not agree with, you don't need to say no, you just need to acknowledge it so that they, you can get some clarification. Like coach, we really, we really believe in the back squat. He goes, I hear you coach. The back squat is a massive priority for you. Question mark. Keep going. So you've been using the back squat for how long? You've been using the back squat for how long in your program? Well, this, this, and that. What, what is the back squat demonstrated for you? And I've just kind of labeled these things and see if it hits a fit. Maybe they recorrect themselves and go, no, 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 no. That's not what I meant. Because how, how often does that happen? Miscommunication of I say one thing and it means another. It happens a lot between sport coach and strength coach of, hey, this guy needs to get strong. He isn't good at firing off the ball in our three technique. I mean, no, his stance sucks. He gets blown <laughs> off the ball because he shows his chest immediately to the guard and he blows him up, right? So let's talk about what you mean. All right, well, if that's the case, how can I help him get into a better stance? Maybe he's lacking some hip stability. Maybe he's lacking hip mobility. He can't demonstrate the fact that he can trap bar 455 or 500, or he can't demonstrate any of his power outputs. You know, the guy broad jumps nine feet. All right. He can't, he can't demonstrate that power if he doesn't have any leverage. All right. So let's create leverage. How can I help you do that, coach? So just, just communicating that way and being extremely clear on your values and ask good questions and let them talk and be personable. Like, relax, man. We just talked about how some podcast host, because I, I was a podcast host, it was just like, oh, my God, I'm so, I'm so uptight and I can't, I can't answer the question and it's, I'm so nervous. Well, I get it, especially you young strength coaches. If you're going into, like, your first interview, you might not have a huge body of work to demonstrate, but you can be you. You know, you got to be able to demonstrate and ask good questions and be able to hang out and have – go to lunch because most of the time they're going to buy you lunch. 
can you sit and have a conversation? Hey, coach, what do you think, man? You know, can, can you be somebody that doesn't look like that they don't feel like they believe they belong there? And, and sometimes that's hard, though, because sometimes you really don't feel that way. You got to fake it till you make it. But that's, that's just my take on that. Yeah, there, there's so many good points there again that, that I kind of want to touch on. It's, it's talking about you talk about that research that you spent looking at the place. And one of the things I think that does for you is it, it and you talked earlier about how you want to make sure it's a good fit for you as, a, as the person being interviewed. Because you see a lot of it. And this is where it's a, it's a little tough in the strength conditioning world because there are so few jobs that it's like it seems like everybody's just desperate to grab on to the first job that they get. But yeah, like paying attention to is that job going to be a good fit for you? And you're going to find that out by doing that research that you mentioned about. So that's kind of like a twofold thing. One, it's going to allow you to get the job if you want it. But two, it's going to allow you to see, do you want this job? You know, like what are the values of that place? What what are like the, their responsibilities? And are you going to be able to communicate with them about that? Because that's huge, too. You, you talked about let's talk about what you mean. That was the biggest eye opener working in the college sector is. You, you need you need to be able to talk about what you actually mean. You have so you, you talk about that's just a sport coach, strength coach conversation. Now you add PTs, ATs in there. You know, you you add in ADs, um, athletic directors. Like everybody is saying, they have different uh, like uh, different languages. They have different lingo for different things. Uh, we're all trying to do the same thing. We're all trying to win on Saturday. We're all trying to win on Friday. Whatever we're trying to do, we're all trying to create the best athletes and give the best athletic experience. But we all have different lingo to it. And you really have to sit there and have a conversation with somebody to understand what do they mean by what they say? Like, it, it, do they need to get stronger or do they need to work on that position that you mentioned? One of the big examples yep. that I talked about in our college world was we talked about this guy getting faster. And this is where data comes into play, too, is they're like he's super slow, like he, he's slow all the time on the field. And I was like, I brought up his flying 10 numbers and all of his acceleration numbers. I'm like, and he was top five in all of the numbers, like in all the numbers. And he was number one in the flying 10 and number one in a 20 yard dash. Like his velo was not like what was messing him up. So being able to talk about like, what do you mean by like, he's not like, he's not fast on the field. And we talked about it's like, he doesn't know where he's going on the field and, you know, and being yeah. able to have that conversation of he's just so confused on the field. He's not able to actually use his speed. So he looks slow, but having that conversation and then backing that conversation up with data points or just something to be able to make it all make sense and tie it all in rather than sitting there. And not that all pieces are that clear cut. Like you said, like trying to figure out that stance or trying to figure out ankle and hip mobility, but at least then you can have a conversation rather than, uh, just going with the first thing that like, if it, like, if it is, let's say it's something like strength, like, and when it, he's squatting 500 pounds, that's probably not his issue. But if that's what the coach wants to see and you have nothing to back it up and you have no experience in communicating with what they're talking about, we're going to spend 12 more weeks developing that back squat when that's not the issue in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. It's all comes down to troubleshooting and trying to, trying to identify the lowest hanging fruit or what, or the, the thing that's going to make the biggest jump, you know, and that's, that's tough to do, but you got to set yourself up to be able to do that um, and, and try to find those things. And one, if you're a strength coach and you don't watch sports and you're about to train these sports, good luck. Because if you need to be able to talk the language of these sport coaches, we need to be chameleons. We got We have all kinds of languages. We got to be able to speak administrator. We got to be able to speak trainer. We got to be able to speak therapist. We got to be able to speak coach. We got to be able to speak ball. Like we've got to be able to speak a lot of things um, other than just us to be able to, to really continue to drive value. Yeah. And one of the quotes that we, so we talked about numbers a couple of times there and we talked about making sure, like when you go into these like administrative meetings, you have something to back up your worth. Um, and I, and you put, you posted something about like chasing numbers isn't dumb because we're all chasing numbers, which I thought was really cool. It's like, yeah, like everybody's saying all this stuff. Um, and, but, and we're all arguing about different things, but it's like, we're all chasing some sort of 
some sort of number. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's the, the thing that's dumb is like chasing the wrong number and making sure we're not getting lost in the wrong number. And one of the things that I really like that you did, you did in a different video is you started to explain your numbers. Um, and one, one of my favorites things that you did was you talked about, I think it was a force plate pull or one, one maybe it was a G strength pull. You did something. Mm-hmm. But it was like, this is just them getting used to it. Cause it was a massive spike. And I, I thought yep. that was super cool too. Is like, this is them getting used to it. Okay. And then here's our actual improvement. And just some of those pieces on the numbers. Uh, can you talk about how kind of, uh, we want to talk about maybe drop back a little bit, kind of what numbers you think are worth tracking two how you're tracking those numbers and three, how you're communicating with those numbers and what they actually mean to the people that you need to get these numbers to. So it kind of, shows them, hey, this this is why we're tracking it. This is what we're actually doing with it. And this is why I'm providing value to the team. Yeah. So I, it's funny you say this because I made this whole personal journey myself because I was a college baseball player. And all I knew, we didn't have a strength coach in D2. And all I cared about was I thought if I'm, I'm going to outwork everybody and I'm going to squat the house, I'm stronger than everybody. It wasn't even close. And I threw harder than most people too. So I had this correlation in my head thinking that that was it. And uh, ended up getting really injured. Like I'm still dealing with hip arthritis so bad to the point in impingement, I'm probably going to have surgery because I just didn't take care of my body. So I was chasing that strength number thinking it was making me a better pitcher. Well, I took that with me all the way through my GA ship, all the way through. And I really didn't start realizing what numbers really mattered until I got here. Um, cause I saw some kids like, dude, this dude's a baller and this dude don't squat for nothing. <laughs> like this dude can play, but that doesn't mean he's weak. Like he just doesn't express strength in a squat. All right. Well, well, why is that? Like I'm, I'm lost because I'm over here spending all my energy and time on trying to find more depth in this squat when this kid's morphology just doesn't let him, but he's our best receiver and he's going to play freaking college football. So what, what is it? What, what's the end game here? So I've been here for five years. It's taken me a long time to come together and find these numbers. And this is where I'm at. And I think I'm in a really good place where I'm going to keep it. So we're going to start with the first one. You mentioned chasing numbers isn't dumb. We all chase numbers. We just can't chase the wrong number. The first number we need to chase is strength. Don't, don't think the whole strong enough uh, argument is the dumbest argument on the planet. Strength needs to be defined first off because strength is an expression. Like strength is force equals mass times acceleration. It's physics. Okay. I think every strength coach needs to take a course on physics first off because like some people have no freaking clue. So that's strength and strength is expressed in a lot of different ways. Okay. We need to be able to accelerate a mass quickly. Like that, that, that's how we create force. So I'm trying to chase a force number. Well, if I'm going to express it in a squat, there's a lot of variables that keep me from being able to express that force. If you look at long levered athletes, basketball. I've got a hooper that's really short torso, really long femurs, right? The further that that fulcrum and those lever arms get away from the fulcrum when they try to squat because their femurs are so long, their leverage goes low. You don't get near as much leverage. So how can you produce force if you don't have leverage, right? I like to use the analogy all the time. Like if you, if you hit a hammer, if you choke up on a hammer, you can be real precise, but you can't create a lot of force. You slide your hand down the hammer and now you can don't have to use as much effort, but you create more force. That's leverage. So if I'm using the squat as a simple universal strength assessment, but we all squat different with different leverages, you, they are all apples to oranges to, to whatever, right? It's not, I cannot do that. Now, sometimes that's all we have and we have to do that. Okay. So shift, so shift it. So I decided, all right, well, I don't think squats a huge, you know, important, you know, assessment. 
trap bar deadlift. Okay, that's a good one, right? All right, for global strength, how much can we trap bar deadlift? But it's still the same. You got arm links, a lot of different leverages going on. Grip strength's a problem. There's a lot of different ways that some people, some kids can't leverage a deadlift, but they can a squat. So I just kept asking this question when I came across the isometric mid-thigh pull and saw it on force plates. And I finally got a piece of technology that's not a force plate, working towards force plates probably next semester, of just seeing peak force in a, an assessment that is not skill-related or unleveraged. I can move the isometric mid-thigh pull to get the right amount of knee flexion. I can make sure that we, we hold a grip either with straps or an alternating grip where we're all doing the same grip that gives us the best shot. And then I measure peak force. So, and, and I'm going to track that every 21 to 28 days. And we're going to look at it over the school year. And is it increasing? Okay. I had to tell myself this too. You just mentioned it. Any assessment, there's a little bit of skill and familiarization. Sometimes kids are a little bit nervous. Oh, I'm trying to fill this out. I don't want to have a bad score. I don't want to get embarrassed. So I knew I have to commit to familiarization of this exact thing. Cause not every kid's going to understand how to do it. I had a football guard increase a thousand newtons from test two to test three. Like, yeah, come on, dude, you didn't increase that much force, right? You just finally figured out how to do it. And you actually finally ripped it and took it to a dark place. Cause that's what I want. Like, yo, when, when we're testing force, you need to absolutely freaking hit the gas. You're stable. You're not moving. It's an isometric. The injury rates very low. I need you to crank it and teach these kids to get to a new level and get pissed off. And we, we have a lot of fun with it. Um, and then once we familiarize that, I'm like, okay, I can see these different force applications in this one test. It's not, it's not an end-all, be-all, right? There's a lot of different ways to produce force, especially in gait cycle and single leg and a lot of other things. But that's why I have different metrics. So I'm looking for force. Another way that I look at force is mass-specific force. So we run sprints every single training session. My favorite sprint that I run, mostly because of space, is a five-yard lead-in to a 10-yard fly. It's a 15-yard sprint, and I measure the back end 10 yards with a dasher system. Um, the reason I love this sprint, one, is because it's impossible. I don't care what system you have. There is not a system that exists out there that gets first movement accurate and end movement accurate. It's impossible. I don't care if you do a, a three-feet lead-in or whatever. You can't get a, a zero to anything accurate. It's, it's just not going to happen. Like I, I haven't found a system that anybody can afford. Even the NFL combine does hand start laser finish. Right. And then you got the laser companies that won't even allow you to do that because it's not accurate. Okay. Well, the freaking combine does it. Why won't you give me the feature to be able to compare, but you won't do it anyway. Um, so I do a fly. Now, how many strides does it take? Now I like the first five yards because I'm all I want to do is focus on force and I'm not worried about a start. I'm not worried about, thinking I'm ready to go up and go. So when we four strides, three to four strides to get five yards and work, worry about force. And then from five to 15, it's about accelerating with power. Okay. Going through that and get the measurement on the back end. It takes about nine to 11 strides to do, to do this test. So we're, we're creating force nine to 11 strides. So that's anywhere from four to four to five on each leg. Right. And we're, we're sprinting as hard as we can trying to get up to as fast as we possibly can. Like I've got a kid right now that's 15 years old, sophomore, 6'2", 235, and can get to 17 miles an hour in 10 steps. Mm. Dude's an animal. He's already got an SEC offer. Um, and I look at that time, and I know that, that that's also a strength metric because it's all power-based. There's no max velo involved. It's all starting strength. If I see that number going down and we're getting faster, I know that our strength is going up too in conjunction with our isometric mid-thigh pool. All right, here's the next one. I track body composition. I have a high level body composition scale 
where that's, you know, it's, it's, it's medical grade. It's not something you get off Amazon. Um, it's where we track body mass, skeletal muscle mass, body fat percentage. So I've got that metric and we weigh in every single day and I take and, and I track their body weight automatically with through my automated system. So we can go through that more, but I take the average of all of their metrics in a week of their weigh-ins and there's their average, their weekly number. And then I look at their weekly trends of where they're going body weight wise. Okay. Then we can also track momentum. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the metric of momentum. Momentum is P equals MV. So that's mass times velocity, right? And you got to, you have to do a couple of, uh, you got to do some equations to get the equivalent because it's mass and kilos times velocity in uh, meters per second. So I have, I have miles an hour, right? And then I have pounds. So I just do, you convert those, those units. And if you actually divide that by 10, you're going to get that into more of a zero to 100 scale. So it gives you a momentum number of how fast and this mass gives me this number. And the more mass and the faster you are with that mass, the, it's think about, all right, think about the collision factor. If I had to step in front of you and stop you, the higher the number, the hard, harder you finna hit me. And it's going to be a lot harder to slow down. So usually this is where our big guys can see really cool, cool numbers. All right. If I got a D tackle, that's 305, right. But I get him down to 285 so we can be a little bit faster. It did my momentum number stay up. Like, did I get, did I drop some weight, but did my speed increase enough? So my momentum is the same. You know, it's the same thing with anybody that's, that's skinny. I got a skinny guy who, oh, we need to put on mass. We need to get bigger. We need to get bigger. Yes. Mass is, is important. Right. And we need to be able to move mass in, in contact sports like football. But if he gained all this fat, right, and just ate the house and put on 20 pounds and he got slower, like way slower, and his momentum number went down, I don't think that's very good, right? We need to be able to put on contractile elements, right? We need to put on lean mass, not just fat mass, just to say we, we put on mass that's hard, makes us harder to move rather than making us a better athlete, taking the, the easy route out. So we track that and all that's automated because I'm getting body weights, I'm getting sprints, momentum can be calculated from that. I also track vertical. Okay. You can get vertical. You can also do the power index where you can take the square root of the body weight in pounds times the square root of the vertical in inches gives you a zero to 100 scale of how vertical powerful you are. So I've got a horizontal power metric and momentum. I've got a vertical power of displacement of mass, mass and displacement pretty much in the power index. And I can just see where those numbers are trending as a team on team averages and individuals. I, I've color coded it. I've got it all automated in my systems now where I just jump in and go. And then I put in, and we also do a, uh, we do a relative, we do a chin up test, a chin up rip out, right? So it's an upper body and we track bench press, but I mean, it's just a, just an upper body force to be able to look at it. Um, I think bench press, you know, you can still look at arm length and stuff, but if you look at, I think I value chin ups way more than bench press um, to be able to do that. Um, and then if they can't do chin ups, we do a dead hang test for grip, for grip strength. So that's pretty much our assessments there as far as like the physical attributes. So our KPAs, our key physical attributes. And I put them in a sport dashboard where if you're on this team, this coach has access to this dashboard and they can see all the trends too. And we don't even have to have a conversation. You can jump into your Google Drive and click on your dashboard and you can see it. Where's this guy's body weight going? Where's this guy's strength going? Right? Is this guy losing skeletal muscle mass? Is the skeletal muscle mass going up? That's what I was telling. I was like, I can look at my head football coach right now and go, coach, as a team, our skeletal muscle mass is up. Our body fat percentage is down. Our speeds are up. Our strength is up. We have no injuries. I think I'm doing my job. What do you think? And then you want to argue with that? <laughs> argue with your mama because I kept the receipts. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm sorry. You can, 
Like, you can't look at me and say, this cat's not strong. I'm like, I have got him stronger. Just because we have a spaz playing three technique, that you need to recruit the halls better. I don't actually <laughs> say that out loud, but that's what I'm thinking, right? I'm not actually going to act that way. I want to make, make that clear to you guys. Like, like talent level matters. You know what I'm saying? Like, especially at the high school level, man, you got to have some guys that can ball. But as far as increasing, like, there's too many high school coaches that think if you just get in the weight room, that it's all of a sudden going to turn into another great athlete. It, I ain't gonna lie. There's been some weight room things that that make confidence skyrocket for some kids, give some movement variability to these kids, and then they apply it to all the other parts of their life, and then all of a sudden they become a much better athlete. Plus, they went from being a 14 year old immature kid to a 17 year old dude, and their whole life changed. That's the biggest thing is like when I've seen that life cycle here in high school. My eighth graders that I started with graduate this year. Like I, I've seen That's it. Sweet. I've seen the whole thing. Like I now know the life cycle. And that's another thing with college strength coaches, and I'm kind of going off on a tangent here. You jump jobs too much to know that, you're, that your stuff even ever works. You're jumping a job every nine months to a year and a half. How do you even know any of your stuff is effective if you can't see a lifespan? You know, because I've seen my body of work now that's changed tremendously over five years. I was a believer in the clean for everything I ever had for four years, and I just finally decided that I think it's the biggest waste of time in college athletics and college preparation. I really believe that. Like I've dropped it off and focused on other things. And I've finally been able to see not just the physical journey and the maturation of these kids, but the developmental and, 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 you know, their psychological and social and their emotional makeup. Like that's, that's seeing that journey all together. And all that comes into play too, of why results aren't being, aren't happening. So I know I went kind of wild there, kind of went buckshot shotgun spray on you, but those are my numbers. I picked those numbers because I feel like they're you I can continue to repeat these numbers and they're valid, right? They're reliable. I can't be I, I can't rely on squat skill to truly express. Now that doesn't mean we don't squat heavy, right? But that's why our main our main squatting quad developer is the hand assisted safety bar squat. Like I can I can repeat that with everybody more than any other squat variation, no matter what people how people feel about it. Oh, that's cheating. You got your hands on the handles. Oh, shut up, man. Beat your team by 62. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's fine. You, you want to win the powerlifting contest? We don't have powerlifting in Alabama. So go, go do it if you want. So I've, a lot of people don't agree with me, and that's okay. A lot of head coaches will walk out if I talk because I sometimes think that a lot of their stuff is dumb. But I also have a lot of coaches that call me and ask me questions. Hey, man, you got this, this different philosophy on how you do things. You, you value different things than we do or what I've always done. You know, So talk to me about that. And, and those conversations are always fun. Yeah. So I just want to emphasize to the listeners, this is at the high school level. Like, this, you're a fucking mad scientist at this high school level. Like <laughs> this is badass. Like I, I I love all this. Like you like you you're talking about the weight room not being like these at like a lot of college levels. Like there's the, the sports science at most college levels is nowhere near this. Like the, the, some of this stuff is super awesome. I got some specific questions that I I kind of want to touch on from what you're saying. Um, one of the things that I want to talk talk about is like the, the I freaking loved your point about like how strength is expressed, man. Like that that. To me, like once I got out of the because for the longest time I was stuck in that same box that you were talking about. And it's hard to get yourself as an athlete because you're like you see you see yourself get better at a sport. Mostly from in my head, it's just because you're practicing the sport more, you know, like mm -hmm. you're just time. It's just time at the sport. You practice the sport more, you're getting more. But if you're a meathead, what you're also doing is you're getting stronger because you're spending it. So it's like really hard to break that correlation for yourself until you look at a person. And one of my big things was in American football. It's like getting punched by a small guy or getting punched by a skinny guy that has a good punch 
And sometimes you're like, holy shit. Like, dude, the dude is benching 185 as his max. And his punch just broke my rib. Like, what is yeah. going on there? Like, and that was huge for me. So the, the the fact that you talk about trying to find a way, like we're chasing, we're chasing that strength, we're getting that 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 force number, but like force it like what like what does strength mean and how are we expressing it? It's super powerful. I want to talk about you, you talked about that mid thigh pull. What are some of the weaknesses? So like we have the weakness in the squat that we just talked about and all these things, like how we're not seeing mm-hmm. it. Do you see any weaknesses in that mid thigh pull that, that you've been doing from, from watching it to where it's like, okay, like this is something that we can improve upon. We just on the, the piece of equipment to improve upon, or what are some of the weaknesses or the, the things that can fall apart with that, with that measure in an, in and of itself? Yeah. I mean, one's equipment, you know, I have, I have a G strength through extra go and it's a good piece of equipment and um, you always worry about the calibration of the equipment, right? Can I tear it every time and make sure it's on the equal? It's not, it's not messing up on that Two is I have limited time. So like what I did was I got a goniometer out and looked at knee flexion and I basically did it enough times where, all right, I've got an idea of what that angle looks like to set up properly so me when I'm ballparking it, I, I give a range like 45 to 55 degrees of knee flexion because that's usually where we're sticking our foot in the ground and changing direction. So that's what I went with. That, that's why I chose that, right? And we have our feet together and whatever. Grip strength's a huge one. Holy cow, like, like uh, the time is too much to use straps, right? Because like if you look at true isometric mid-thigh pull testing and research, they even say tape your hands to the bar sometimes. <laughs> like grip strength is going gonna, is gonna to matter. Um to be able to get that leverage. You got kids with really long arms and, and, and where you set that for them, you know, being able to you, most our squatty athletes that are a little shorter, they're going to be, they're going to be able to find leverage better because their lever arms are shorter, you know? So it's not, it's not perfect, but it's, it's way different than like a squat, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot more consistent. Um, the load cell I have right now, you know, I have, I have a platform of plywood that I built of a platform it screws into it. So straight up. So it's, it's measuring vertical force. So I got to make sure that that thing doesn't tilt a little bit because if our kids are pulling at an angle a little bit, you may be missing out on force. So we have to redo some reps. So, I mean, any assessment comes with coaching and integrity. That was like one of the posts I put on Instagram the other day is that assessments have to come with coaching to try to get it as reliable as possible. It's not going to be perfect. It's impossible, but I, but I want to get as close to it as as close to it as I can and be able to repeat a test and then see the trends. The test doesn't really matter that much as long as I can repeat it and I'm not getting different tests all the time. And here's the deal. It's already different because I'm, I'm picking a day that one of our guys may have said, yes, girl, hottest girl in the school said yes to him for homecoming on the day we pulled isometric mid thigh pool, or he got cut from the basketball team because he didn't make it on the, on the next assessment. So he's like, I don't care. Like I have to try to coach effort, but it's just not there that day. Well, I just have to take that with a grain of salt. Like that, that's part of this process. Right. And I'm, I'm hopefully getting some force plates next semester. So where I can actually see true impulse, right. If you define impulse as area under the curve, where if you think of force and then time, right. And then you want to go force as quick as possible and hold on to it. And you can look at the area under the curve as like their true impulse. Cause if you look at squat, like, you know, there's, there's areas where you're producing force, but if you produce enough acceleration, you stop accelerating. So you're not producing any more force. It just carries you through the rep, especially towards the top. Um, with an isometric mid-thigh pull, you can actually create more force over time. You have more time to create that force. In a squat, you have a really split second to produce it, and you either get the rep or you don't. In an isometric mid-thigh pull, you can pull as long as you want, and we can see how long we can hold that force in that position and then look at the area under the curve and go, okay, your total output 
globally. And that's just a very global look at the forest, not the tree assessment of like just overall force capability. All right. You're a strong kid, man. You're a strong kid. All right. Now let's move towards how we express it in all these different ways. Right. Cause that, that's the moneymaker. Cause at the end of the day, if I'm like, I'm trying to express these skills, but you're weak as piss, like, all right, we got to get you strong and we've got to pick the exercises that we can start producing force. And I, I don't even like to use the word strength anymore. I don't tell our kids, I need, I'm, I'm, we're chasing force. We need force, force in the ground, force into others. We need to be able to handle and resist force. Force is the name of the game. Right. And then we need to be able to set ourselves up to create leverage with that force, whether it's resist or produce. And the isometric mid thigh pull is, you know, I've only done, I'm just scratching the surface. I haven't done enough data points. I've collected over, shoot, I'm getting close to 50,000 10 yard flies in my assessment. So I'm, I got that down pretty well. Isometric mid thigh pull, I've only done, if I do the quick math in my head, see, we've done four true assessments. Say I see 180 kids. I mean, I've only done it about 720 times. That's not that much. That's not even close. You know what I'm saying? I'm just scratching the surface of finally seeing and see if there will be ways that I can adjust the coaching, the equipment. You know, I'm using a chain with a, with a T-bar that you get on a cable machine that you do like triceps with. Like it's, it's still really stable. It's, it's metal, you know, the grip strength part. Like if you get like for our girls, for example, I did, I tested myself and did an over under grip isometric mid thigh pull. And then I strapped up and see if there was any difference. For me, there wasn't much difference. So I was like, all right, we're just going to roll with the over-under because it takes less time. Well, my grip strength is pretty good. Mm-hmm. I didn't think about that. Some of our girls' hands are small and their grip sucks. We go over-under, they get this one metric, I strap them up, and it's like, Phew. like that just happened last week. And I'm just realizing, whoa, I, I didn't think through that well enough. All right, maybe everybody should use straps, especially in a population where grip strength is going to be extremely variable. With guys, I didn't see much. I haven't seen much difference because the grip strength is kind of caught up. You know, so... I'm still, I'm still real. My gears are rolling on that. How do I continue to get this as reliable as possible and repeatable as possible so I can truly sell it to everybody and, and show that? Because the last thing I want to do, Austin, is cook the books. Like, that's what I, I refuse to do. I want to always give caveats about data, and that's why I haven't bought in on – there's so many coaches that are like, well, we're using VBT and XYZ and, and GFY. You know, and I'm like – Okay, but how is that data meaning anything? How are you not cooking the books rather than just like you're stacking the deck to show everybody for, you know, to get retweets on Twitter that you are a cool sports science guy? Like, no, I'm trying to prove myself wrong every single time I'm going in here to improve it. And, and I'm finally scratching the surface and I'm like, okay, I can actually believe in this. I think these numbers mean something rather than, oh, we did something once and all of a sudden I try to, you know, post it, whatever. And I'm always asking questions and trying to pick it apart so I can – come up with a real answer. Because at the end of the day, if I can't question what I do and it uphold, if it doesn't just crumble at the first questioning of it, it's not worth anything. And I think a lot of coaches are scared to death to do that. To ask a question, ask a hard question, go debate with a coach that completely agrees with you. One of my favorite coaches on this planet is Brett Huth down at the University of Incarnate Word in Texas. Because me and him don't agree on nothing. And it is (laughs) awesome to talk to him. We go at it. I was like, low bar sucks, it ruins shoulders. He goes, no, it's not. That's nocebo language. You're an idiot. Let me tell you why. I said, the clean is stupid. He goes, no, it's not. Let me tell you why I believe it. I was like, well, let me tell you why I don't. And we just we just go at it, and then we we go have a beer, and we're still good friends. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's so fun to talk to coaches who don't take things personal, but they're willing to pick themselves apart. And then once they find something that's actually effective, good luck trying to knock me off that course. 
but I'm not, I'm not too stupid or arrogant and not humble enough to know, you know what? Like I talked to Brett the other day about the low bar squat. I sure, I, for the longest time, I thought the low bar squat was just terrible for your shoulders for athletes. Why would we ever get in this position? And he talked me through like low bar is technically just centering the bar over your body, depending on your morphology. So we can get center midfoot. Bar placement is just to be able to get midfoot. We should still close the knee, right? We're not squatting like Louis Simmons. We're not doing a box squat. Low bar is just a changing of the bar. And I was like, okay, that's a way different way to look at it. If you're back squatting, big fan. We don't back squat, but that's that I was, I could agree with that. You know what I'm saying? So. Yeah. One of the points that I wrote down that you keep talking is, is like, you keep your eyes open, like during your training session. I, and I think that's super important. Like you were watching, you did the um, over under with that grip and pulled. Um, and there's so many coaches out there that would do that and be like, it worked for me. Okay. We're going. And like for 10 years would sit there and do that over under. Right. And you notice within a session. And I think that's like, it's just keeping your eyes open in a session. You can, you can change what it would take coaches 10 years to change in one session by just watching like, Oh, that doesn't work. Like, and being all right with it was okay. That I saw, I got a question here then is, was there a journey, like a point in your coaching career? Cause there was for me, like where you probably wouldn't have done that because you didn't want to admit like something like that. Oh. Like where, where was that? Where was that eye opener where you, now you're just in one session, you're able to be like, that was stupid. Let's change this. Like, where does that thought process come from? Man, the first three years of my career, I would say is that I was trying to convince myself that I was right rather than asking myself, what if I'm not? Because I was just still learning about strength conditioning and learning the principles and getting better at coaching, the, the, you know, getting better at cueing the big three and, and, and working through that. Like, I want to apologize to every athlete I coached in my beginning of career because I'm just like, I was piss poor. Like, I sucked. Like, Same. I really believe it. And it just really it, – this is what it really happened. Like, I got to the high school level, and I wasn't – Nobody was looking over my shoulder. I wasn't worried about – it's not like you got to win right now or you're going to get fired. I wasn't trying to climb the ladder anymore. I was here. I was finally here. My feet were here. And I was like, all right, it's just me. And everything I do is me. Like, it, I got nobody to answer but to me. So, when I look at my product, that's me. I'm responsible for it. So, what am I seeing results or not? And I just kept, you know, just pulling gears and changing things and hitting buttons. And, oh, I don't like that. I want to change that. And just a lot of failure, a lot of failure. A lot of, man, that didn't work. I didn't like it. Like like our sprint work that we do, I was telling you about breaking down momentum and everything. I started off, I didn't sprint the first two years. And then I pulled out a stopwatch and I would just call out times in the same sprint. We're going to do a 10-yard sprint and I'm going to do a stopwatch and I'm just going to call out the time. I didn't record it. I didn't write it down. I didn't put it in a spreadsheet. That's where I started. And I thought, well, hell, I mean, we're sprinting. Yeah, but what am I getting out of it? Like, all right, I need to invest. All right, I need to fundraise. Okay, I need to get a laser timing system. Okay, now I need to know, learn how to collect numbers. Now I need to learn how to automate it. Okay, now I can actually see the story. Now the data is telling me a story. Now, am I selling me a lie? Am I reading the wrong story? Because I can do that. My biggest enemy is me. Because I want, I want to make sure everybody knows I'm good at what I do. So I can stack the deck if I want, but that's not, it's not having integrity. That's not, I'll know that. I'll know in the back of my mind, I know I'm full of crap. Like, I would know, and I can't live that. I, I can't do that. So I just, you're right, man. I try to keep my eyes open. And, you know, the, the biggest eye opener for me really was last year had a guy come intern for me. His name is Brandon pig. He's an excellent guy. Um, he's, he's active on social media and he, uh, he opened and challenged my eyes a lot. Cause he, his background was in research in a research lab, very intelligent, way smarter than me, new physiology, new physics, better than me. And he taught me things that opened my eyes on, on all these things. And once I started realizing it, it other people, it's not just me, it's conversations with good coaches that I was allowed to continue to, to change my perspective so I could chase something else. 
and continue to make this whole system robust. And he really helped me out on that. That's when we decided to take the clean out of our program. Um, a lot of people think I'm an idiot. It was funny. You know, I, I work for a Hall of Fame head football coach. You know, he's He's been in this thing for 30 years. He's won state title. I, I really think he's one of the best to ever do it. And I'll never forget. I was like, I'm going to have to come to this dude and tell him we're not about to clean in the offseason. He's going to lose his mind. Um, and all I did was give him my very – that like deep version of why and why and gave him my conviction. And he was like, coach, I trust you do your thing. And I was like, man, I'm lucky. I really am. I'm really lucky. Cause I, it could go, it could have went way sideways in many other places. So I, I can't give myself too much credit. I, I have a lot of good people. I've been really lucky. I've met the right people. I've got really good coaches in my life and I've been able to use that to continue to climb and try to sharpen my knife. Yeah, and that ability to approach that conversation with you is probably why he's a Hall of Fame football coach, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's excellent. Yeah, uh, and one of the other things um, I wanted to touch on is you talked about the, the strong kid and showing him that he's strong and showing these kids that they're strong with our uh, KPAs. Um, how are we, one, correlating these KPAs to our KPIs? Uh, is it so because there's a couple things that I want to go with here. You can show the sport coach that the KPAs are working, but if we're losing all of our football games, the sport coach can come back and be like, okay, so what's the point of you? Like, what's the point of these KPI KPA? Oh, I'm going to mess up all my words. The KPA, <laughs> the KPAs, if we're like, if our KPIs are not being met. So talking about that, like how you have that conversation and how you have that conversation with the athlete themselves, because you talked about the say. You see this all the time. It's like an athlete like myself, probably an athlete like yourself. It's like your KPA KPAs are set. Like you got to start focusing on your KPIs or your, 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 your ability to express your skill on the field, which I find that that's one of the reasons I love KPIs. I, I love tracking the physical aspect so I can show that athlete straight up. This is not where you're lacking. It, like, mm -hmm. and that, that, and that's where we have this bias too, especially in the private sector is athletes coming to me usually are pretty good at the KPAs because that like they like that aspect. They like the training aspect of it. When I was at the college sector, it's very different because you just have all the athletes are just given to you. Whereas the private sector, athletes coming to you love training. So they, they've done it before. And a lot of times their, their KPAs are pretty high, but showing them these numbers and being like, okay, this is not where you're weak at. We need to work on this, transferring this to the field. And that has opened some really cool conversations to like skill acquisition and studying your sport and spending time on your sport. But so a couple of different questions there, but how are you using these KPAs to get to the KPIs and show your worth? And why do you think the KPAs matter if they're not affecting the KPIs? Like what's kind of your approach there and thought process there? At the end of the day, so it comes down to a couple of things. So I, I discussed this in this post the other day and we, we briefly talked about it and you put it in the notes of, so make sure the audience knows KPA is key physical attributes. I'm just looking at physical attributes. Okay, KPIs is key performance indicators on the field. Right. And some people argue, well, no, your KPIs are different for everybody. Your KPIs as a strength coach are KPAs. Okay. Semantics, whatever. But that's what I'm calling it. Right. Cause to me, KPIs is expressing skill and winning games and getting your job done. And then you also have KBT, which is key behavioral trends, which I want to hit on, hit on this as well. So at the end of the day, winning the game is extremely harder than what we do in the weight room. The weight room's controlled, it's way more of an environment, and we're just building the capability to give us the possibility to win. I want to put ourselves in a position to where I have the potential to do the things. I can produce force. I can change direction. I have enough body armor to withstand football practice. My hamstrings are integrity enough to where if I sprint, I'm not going to break down. I'm just building the, what I like to call anti-fragility, 
right? Trying to be anti-fragile to where we get more robust with everything that comes at us. And the thing is, though, is that you can't just look at the physical. These kids, humans are extremely emotional beings, and there's so many things going on. It can always go back to Fergus Connolly's The Four Coactives, okay? You got the physical. That, that's what we talk about. That's strength. That's power. That's speed. That's all of that. Okay. You got the number one thing that probably trumps everything and that's psychological. Okay. So the psycho, social, emotional complex inside these kids brains of what happens when you step on the field. And then underneath that umbrella, you have tech techniques. Okay. So that's the, that's the tactical side of things. So sorry, that's the technical side of things. So you've got skill. When you look at technical, that's skill, tactical, that's strategy, right? So that's scheme. Okay. So I've got different ways to complete a task. And all of those are always active, right? Like if I'm playing, for example, if you just watch any practice and we're in football right now, we're in week nine. And by the way, we're outscoring our region opponents 255 to 14 this year, by the way. Um, yeah. Uh, so just want to put that out there. But if you watch one, I've got our coaching staff is veteran. All of them have been part of a state title. Like they're, they do, they are pedagogical. They teach. I freaking love being at practice because they're not just some yell around and make people up down because no, no, they teach, they freaking teach the scheme. They teach the skills, they teach the techniques. And we, and, and now you got to look at the defense. Like if I'm watching defensive practice and we're going through inside run or we're going through a shell drill and like how, all right, this is the defensive scheme that we're using. This is how it's got to work as a unit. And this is what you've got to think about and know based off what you see, you've got to be able to process all these, all these things. At the end of the day, if a kid can't do that, it does not matter how strong they are. Now, what a good coach will do is go, all right, well, what, did, what can this kid do? It all comes back down to personnel. What can this kid do well? Okay, he's an absolute force animal. We had a kid like this last year who was a defensive end. Force animal, extreme get off, defensive end, pass rusher. How dumber is a box of rocks? So they gave him one job. Blow it up. Blow it up. Go. And then you got the smart guys. Like we had a kid that played free safety for us last year that ran a five, two, he's slow <laughs> as Christmas, but he was one of the smartest kids I've ever met. He could recognize formations. He'd set up the defense and he saw things coming from a mile away. So he would actually play faster because he'd be in better positions. So these sport coaches have to identify the tools and the skills and the strengths and weaknesses on all four of those co-actives. And then I go down and like, I'm the mechanic. I'm not the NASCAR driver. I'm the mechanic. I need, my car needs to be able to switch gears really fast. Our car, I, and I need to be able to do that now. Here's the thing I love the car analogy is like the better the car, the smarter the computer is. So strength coaches are involved in the computer too now. We can actually regress and reverse engineer any type of visual thing so and create constraints of movement of all right. I need to be able to take a 90 degree angle cut. I need to learn how to do that, especially with our young kids, our middle schoolers. Like if you can't simply do a small cut, Right. If you can't do something really small, we need to teach those skills in a very constrained environment and then add variables, add different people, add space, add decision making. And you just reverse engineer from really constrained to more open and get closer to the sport. And that's our off season. So when we go into June, into the summer for us, because we don't have spring ball because we're a school, we're a small school. Hopefully that we've trained some of those general qualities that when coach starts talking schemes, starts getting on the board, we go to Indy, we start doing drills and practice. All of those things start to make sense. And I try to do that for every sport, right? The best I can. Like I've got a full-time assistant now. So we have, 
we have, we're, we're actually be able to reach out and do more things. But that's how you bridge the gap from KPA to KPI. At the end of the day, we can't have enough KPAs. We can't produce enough force. We can't create enough speed. But we got to have the skills to be able to harness these things and look at the sport in reverse engineer all the way down to the controlled environment in the weight room or in the or on the turf, whatever you're doing, and make sure that all of the things that we're doing is, is going to bring us a return on investment rather than just saying we're strong to get strong. Or you can't even explain how it's going to influence KPIs. You know, KP, like, that's, what I, that's what I'm trying to say when I say KPAs versus KPIs is that physical attributes don't win games, but they influence skills that win games. Because at the end of the day, if a, if a kid can produce more force, he's going to create problems for a team. Like it's going to make him harder to move. It's going, it's going to make her harder to defend. It's going to make whatever. Like if you've got a kid that's explosive, you can disrupt things. Like you can do it right now. All right, well, how do we learn the game more? You know, it's, just, it's like the whole thing like, oh, he's a track runner. He's a medalist at the state meet. He needs to play receiver. I'm like, you have any idea how many skills that kid's lacking to be good at receiver? Plus, we hadn't even seen him try to catch a ball. And I actually saw him in PE catch it. He can't play that, coach. Like, like we had the fastest kid in the school two, two years ago come out to play football his senior year, and he was a liability. Fastest kid in the school. Wasn't even close. Liability. Right? So, that's – I know I'm kind of going down on a, on a tangent here, but that's kind of where – how I bridge that gap and, and try to blend it because other coaches think don't just be the, don't just be the weight room guy that the coach sends you to like, and all oh, we just get strong. And then I, it's the coach sport coaches turn. Now I, I just developed the engine and then they do. No, you're also involved in the computer, buddy. Like the mechanic and the designer of the car also must design the computer. Now you're not the driver. The driver's got to make the decision. But you, you're in charge of the engine, the structure, and the computer. We got to be able to compute some things on a general level, and then the driver will take that information and put it on a specific level. Yeah, that's freaking awesome. I, I love that analogy because it, it talks about it. It does like your job is to kind of tie those pieces in. I like that you're going to practice too, and you're seeing it too because that that's another thing in the strength world. I talk about this all the time. It's like strength coaches will sit there and call as sport coaches will call strength coaches dumb about not knowing the sport, but strength coaches all the time you hear it on Twitter is like how dumb sport coaches are. It's like have you been to a practice like that they might not understand the physical, but they are absolute PhDs in the technical tactical, especially if you have a good coach that is obviously there's bad coaches out there too, but like, man, the way they teach this stuff and their ability to teach technical and tactical traits is unbelievable. And the tactical aspects, like if you sit not even at practice, but you go to their board meetings and watch them game plan and look at this, it's like, wow, these guys are geniuses at this aspect. Like your job needs to be able to blend all of that together. Like they're not idiots. Like that, they're, they're a reason they're a head coach or they're like a hall of fame coach or they're winning a lot of games. Like they have some aspect of it. Now your job is to work the other aspects and maybe they are lacking in that like nah, physical aspect. And that may, that's your job to have them understand like these types of aspects and talk, but it kind of just so closes think about all this, conversation. Also, I want you to think about this. That's why it blows my mind. And it sucks to me that you've got five full-time strength coaches at the, at the FBS football level who all they're involved in football. They're in these meetings. They see all these things. They're fully connected. And their only, only sole responsibility is to take these freaks and help out because of a plan. And that's your only responsibility. You have five full-time guys. Most strength coaches at the lower college levels and like at the high school level, you've got one strength coach, two, two maybe three if you're lucky, covering 20 sports. How in the world can you ask any coach to go to all these practices? You're going to burn out and they're not making any money. So like how in the world can you ask them to go to practice when honestly the coaches that 
really want to be good at their job are going to go out of their way, try to make as many practices as possible, do everything they can, get to home, get home late. What if they have a family? Like I have a three-year-old son. Like, man, I can't go to every single practice. Well, what I do, though, is I go every single day. We go to practice. And at 4.30, and my alarm goes off on my watch, and I go home, and I'm home at 5 o'clock every day, and I'm with my wife, and I'm with my son. But I'm at practice enough to be able to see. And then I try to make as many meetings as possible. And then I, I, I talk with my coach. I hang out with my coach at lunch all the time. Let's talk ball. Man, I love what we do. Man, can you help me understand our defense more? Can you help me understand our offensive scheme? Man, I love this stuff, man. Let's talk. And you know coaches love to talk, to, talk it when you start <laughs> yeah. talking. And then that's how you build value, too. They're like, man, he really cares. Like he's really, he's not just like, he doesn't only value squat numbers and is like, well, I don't know football, but I just know, I know squatting. And that's not, that, that to me, that's not what strength conditioning is about. It's not just about that. And that, that's what helps me start to learn because I've, I played football, basketball, baseball in high school. I actually kind of already knew the game, right? But there was, but volleyball, I had to work. Soccer, I had to work. I had to ask questions. I had to befriend these people and, hey, teach me. I want to know how to, how do you scheme? How do you win? Like, what's the strategy? And then I just extrapolate the movement strategies and the visual, proprioceptual, all the things and just reverse engineer and go, all right, well, we still need to create force. We still need to be able to change direction. Still need to be fast. Still need to be durable. But here's a couple of things we can work on. And hopefully that'll influence their ability on the field. Yeah. And, and one of the pieces you, you, you keep that open mindset and I, like it's that curiosity mindset to be able to look at a sport like volleyball that you didn't play and be interested in learning their technical and tactical aspects and be able to draw stuff from that. And that's one of the cool things about the private sector is we have all these different sports and you have these conversations. I really like combining two different athletes from two different sports and have them work out together. So they have those conversations too. And they're, they're talking about these different aspects that they're doing, but you also talk about having conversations with good coaches and it kind of all ties into that curiosity mindset of like, you're curious, you're having these conversations with good coaches. And this is where the kind of that podcast aspect comes into play and something that I like, if I'm thinking about like the number one impact of my career, it's having a podcast. It's talking to coaches like yourself and being able to like, be pushed down these rabbit holes of, okay, now I'm going to go look at mid thigh pole and look at uh, all these numbers that you're talking about and looking at how you're tracking all of it, but keeping the curious mindset and, and then applying it to something like having a podcast and having conversation with coaches, or you mentioned earlier, having the social media, like how coaches are kind of one day. There's so many pieces. Like, you talk about the humble aspect, like way early on in the podcast, like it's like these coaches say they're humble, but it's like, uh, is that like really what it is? Or is that just, it's just cool to say you're humble. So you're not going to put yourself on social media <laughs> or is it like that insecurity, but kind of a flex, like you're yeah. actually flexing by saying, yeah, you're, you're flexing. Actually you're the opposite, you're I know that stuff blows my mind, but it's like, put yourself on social media and have these conversations, like actually put your thoughts out there and try to get exposed, actually have a conversation on a podcast and just listen to people and be open to that, like have that curiosity mindset. But I'm trying to tie this into, how have these things like affected your coaching career? You, you talked about the podcast or you talked about talking with coaches, but you've had that podcast. You did 60 episodes in a row. Like I guarantee that opened your eyes to a lot of things. Having the social media, that's been huge for me too. Have, like putting your thoughts out there and be like, oh, that one was stupid. Like that was a stupid thought. I got look stupid or no, I think like, I'm, I don't know if I agree with that guy. That's been huge for me too. Is like, look at coaches and be like, I respect the hell out of that coach. I do not agree with that coach. And that kind of, that forces me, if I'm not going to agree with the coach I respect and I respect them because I believe they're smart and they're doing the right things. If I'm not going to agree with them, I better dive deep into why I'm not agreeing with them. So that's where mm -hmm. and I just want to talk about this too, because you get the the evils of social media. Like everybody's doing the podcast, uh, everybody's tweeting. It's like, okay, like use it for the benefit. So I want, I'm interested in 
kind of the, the benefits you see from you took talked about two years ago, you took that big step out and you started doing some stuff on social media, the benefits you've seen from it um, business wise, but also socially and like uh, developmentally and how other coaches, if, if you think other coaches should start doing it and if they should, how they can get started in this kind of avenue. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I've always been chirpy on Twitter since the beginnings, <laughs> uh, just kind of who I am. And I, I've always loved to debate my whole life. My dad's like that. I've always loved a solid debate. Now, there have been times in my life where I took it too personal and got emotional, but I just love to argue. Like, I love to argue MJ LeBron. I love to argue whether or not this is good. Like, I love to sit at the table when, with my players and just like, all right, I'm, I'm, a, I'm coming at your neck with this today. Like, that's fun. And, and we get better that way. So I just kind of always taken that approach. And then uh, I, I felt like I've always been decent with words. So like some tweets just started hitting and I just started garnering more traction. So I started meeting people on social media. People valued what I said. I established relationships. We get on a call. I listen to their podcast. I reach out. That's another thing. Send the DM, man. What are you scared of? Like send the fourth DM if you can't get their attention, but, but bring value. Don't beg for somebody to just give you something. Ask for a conversation. Be willing to pay for somebody's time. And, and I did those things. A couple of examples. So one, I, I knew I was only two hours from Houston when I was in Louisiana. And I had followed Alan Bishop forever. And I sent him a DM. I just reached out. And he was the most humble and willing guy. He called me up. Hey, man, what's up, man? It's good to meet you. We start talking about our history. We're actually from the same hometown in South Alabama, which is crazy. And I was like, yo, I need to come see you. That was 2017. Never got a chance because I was living that college life where I was extremely busy and locked up. Well, last year, 2021, I finally, you know, I had raised some money. My administration's like, you know, so I'd love to be able to go visit some coaches and got the ability to do it. And I had an assistant at the time. So like, I didn't have to worry about, you know, missing coverage lifts were taken care of. And I, I reached out to coach Bishop. I was like, I'd love to come speak a week with, spend a week with you and learn like, is that feasible? And he's like, Oh yeah, let's do it. So I went at the end of October. Shoot. We're, we're getting close to about a year on the dot of when that happened. Flew to Houston, stayed in a hotel, was there for four days. And I was there from dawn to dusk and I learned more Man, I can't even like when you get to see the inside of a program based off all right, he posts all this stuff on social media and you get these little sprinkles. But when you get to go watch him work, when you're going to find out either they're phony or for real, and he is definitely for real. And then you can see all the pieces. And like I said, keep your, you said, keep your eyes open. I know people that go on site visits and they play on their phone. Dude, what? Keep your eyes open and try to see the, the depths. So social media afforded me that option and we established a connection and me and Alan probably talk once every two weeks now, just, just talking shop and developing a friendship. And which I'm like, man, he, I'm just a lowly high school strength coach, man. And you're the strength coach of one of the best basketball teams in the country. Like, and you're one of the best at what you do. And you, you just call me out of the blue. That's crazy, but he's such a good dude. So that's one. And then next just through, I did the podcast. I, I sent the random email to Simply Faster and asked for a sponsorship. They did it. I got in with, with Simply Faster. I started writing for Simply Faster. Um, I started doing all kinds of things and where I met Tony Villani. I don't know if you know of Tony Villani. He was XBE Sports on social media, but he's like the change direction guy, and he, he's been doing NFL combine work for 15 years and arguably the best that's ever done it, the best numbers in combine history. He's just not on social media much until now. We struck up a friendship. 
he was hosting a clinic with Simply Faster. Simply Faster wanted to help me host it. I flew down. They paid for me to fly down to Miami and spend three days down there and got to hang out. I had dinner with Jamal Lewis from the Baltimore Baltimore Ravens, dude, the running back, like just chilling with Jamal Lewis, who he trained with, Carl Lawson, um, uh, all these guys that uh, he trained in college and pros and and establishing these relationships. And I met Tony Holler. I met Joey Garaccio. I met Les Spellman and, and got to meet with these guys in person. And when you get in person, everything changes. It's not social media, but social media was the avenue that helped me get there. So I got to meet all these people. And one, I've always, I've always stood for what I, what I believe in. I'm not going to let somebody just back down. I'm not going to conform. I've got skin in the game. I post things that I do. I talk about what I do. And I really lean on what I do. And some people push back, but good. If you don't have haters, you ain't doing something. You ain't got enough skin in the game. I really believe that. Nothing drives me worse than a coach gets on Twitter just to chirp at you when you've got no body of work showing in this game. You're not, you don't have, you ain't got the balls to put it up, put it out there for judgment and see what people think. And, you know, it's, I, I, there was a few times, you know, probably about three years ago where, where I was probably being a little too, I don't know, arrogant or maybe too discoursey, you know, and I've had to have some coaches kind of pull me in and I did have to find ways to communicate better. Um, but, I'll give you a cool example about the business side of things when I started to put myself really online and selling something. This was 2019. So that's really three years ago, not two, three. And I'll never forget this story. This is such a cool story. Um, my wife and I, we didn't have a ton of money at the time, um, but we had enough money where we wanted to buy a new couch. We'd had, you know, hodgepodge couches from college. It looked like crap, but we had a house. We wanted to buy a sectional and this place had a deal um, where you could get six months Six months, same as cash, a 0% interest rate. As long as you put down 20%, you pay it off in six months. Well, it was like a $1,200 couch. I didn't have the cash to pay for it. And um, I'll never forget, I put the $300 down and, and I was like, dang, now I got to find a way to get this thing paid off in six months. So that interest rate goes to 24%. Uh, and I just kept thinking, I was like, you know, I'm at the high school level. I'm training multi-sport athletes that are in multiple seasons. And I've got a cool little system that I'm doing. What if I just put this out here and see if coaches will pay for it? And I've always been really tech savvy. And I found a way to be able to create a form that had a PayPal integration on it. Real simple. I wrote this ebook that was 35 pages long. Um, that was just basically what I was doing the past two years and the past year and a half. And I'll never forget, like we bought that couch and then I put that ebook out on Twitter. I probably had like 5,000 followers at the time. And, and I, I felt like I had an idea on how to sell it to people of why this is valuable. And, and here's some systems for all you high school coaches that are training these kids in different, different seasons and how to, how to help with in-season training. Austin, I had, so I owed $900 on this couch. I made $900 in 48 hours. Off that ebook. <laughs> and I went to the, I went to the furniture place and paid that couch off and I went, Whoa. Okay. What? I was hooked. Right. I was like, and then people started following me. People started sharing the ebook. People was like, hey, you need to buy this. This is great. Okay, I'm starting to rack up followers. And then I wrote another ebook and things started popping. And then, um, you know, I'm really savvy in spreadsheets. So, like, I have my flagship product is a spreadsheet uh, program delivery product where it went crazy, where I made, oh, man, I couldn't tell you. I, I probably had, so I, you get paid. I use Gumroad as my product, and they pay you out every Friday. And I got three $4,000 checks in a row every Friday. And I went, what the, what is going on? Like, what is happening? I immediately booked a vacation for me and my wife. And I'm like, yo, this is great. Yo, I'm rich. Hard lesson, hard lesson. So like last year, gross revenue, 
I did like 55K gross revenue. Um, but I had no idea how businesses work and IRS structure uh, and got that $7,000 IRS bill when I was just living the high life and got kicked in the nuts. And that's when I finally was like, all right, if I'm gonna do this for real, I need to like, you know, consult an accountant. I need to figure out a business strategy. I need to actually understand what business expenses are. And that's kind of where I'm at now is that I've kind of been quiet for a little while because I've been, I've been really planning and strategizing and I've actually got a massive release coming my new product strength sheets to be able to help coaches be able to release team training cards at, at literally a drop of a click um, better than some softwares do and trying to figure out how to do this thing. Right. You know what I'm saying? And, and continue to provide value. And at the end of the deal, at the end of the day, if, if you want to get started in this one, do you have something value to provide to coaches Two, don't sell yourself cheap. I saw somebody and I'm not going to say his name because he's such a good dude, but he put out his first ebook, and it was good, but he was selling it for $5. I was like, bro, you, you, I'll, I'll wipe my butt with $5, dude. Like, it's not that big of a deal. Like, you want to tell me that somebody won't buy this for 20 and you could 4X your profit margin because it didn't cost you anything but your idea in a Word document because it's an ebook. What are you doing? He was like, well, I just want people to afford it. I'm like, man, what, what would you not spend $20 on? What would you not spend $20 on? Seriously? Even when I was broke, I would spend $20 on anything if I wanted it and saw value. So now, then I started digging in business. I started reading books that had a lot more to do with sales. I started following people on TikTok and, and, and Twitter and Instagram that actually was more about how do you sell the right way? How do you do things the right way? I went to a couple seminars, talked to some people and realized at the end of the day, if you have a lot of value and you can show people that my value solves your problem, then it costs you more not to buy my product. It costs you more not to consult with my services because time is our most limited resource. You can't get your time back. Like I tell people in Google Sheets, I'm like, guys, I'm, I'm pretty good at spreadsheets. You want to spend, guys, I've spent over five, shoot. I'm probably coming up on a thousand hours learning this skill. You want to spend that thousand hours or you want to spend that thousand bucks? It's totally up to you, but it's, it's, your, it's your time. I can solve your problem right now. But, but, but you want to say it's too much money. I'm like, okay, but you want to go spend that time. You have this problem. Why, it's costing you not to do it. You can replace that money. You can't replace the time. So I, I just started digging in that mindset and perspective that it's value, not money. Like money's not real. Like it's really not. Like it's, it's, it's a crazy phenomenon to me. Like I've been extremely broke. I felt like I was been going Benjamin's. I've been on both sides. Like I'm, I'm like, I've been in both places, but at the end of the day, it's about providing value. And if you're on social media and you think that, oh, well, I can't give away everything for free because, you know, they're going to take it. I'm like, honestly, if you can't give things away for free, you don't have no value anyway. Like you can't give your stuff away for free. Give your info away for free post, put it out there because if your free stuff is that good, when they start to pay you, they're like, holy cow. It's just like me. Like I show all my stuff and everybody wants to come to me and ask for a program. Like my head coach hit me up the other day. Hey, I've got a guy that coaches at a private school similar to this. You have something for a weight room you can send him? I was like, I, I don't think that solves anybody's problem because I can send you it, but you can't coach it or run it like I can. So, And it's not even your place. Give him my number. Tell him to call me. Let's talk. Let's see if we can solve problems. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, that's the difference is I, I, there is no magic in the weight room as far as the program goes. Now, there's bad programming. You know what I'm saying? Like good coaching – will emphasize good programming, but
but bad coaching will ruin any program. If that makes sense. Like if you, you can't, you can't run my program the way I run it one, cause you're not me and you have different skill sets than me. Like you, you're, you're going to have a, you can probably get the same result, but you have a different path because you're a different person. You have a different skill set. You may come in my weight room where I do no Olympic lifting and go full on Olympic lifting and you probably get some dang good results, but you're not me. And that's cool. You know, so why are you trying to just print off my program and try to run it? You can't do that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'll give it to you. That's fine. But don't be mad when you don't get results when you don't understand the principles behind it or you don't know how to make an audible or make an adjustment on the fly on the floor based off what you see. You can't see what I see. You know what I mean? Like, you don't have your eyes open the way that I have my eyes open. So you need to do that yourself and develop that eye. You know, and that's that's kind of, I know I'm kind of going off a little bit, but coming back to that social media and the business side of things, man, the best thing I ever did was put myself out there. You know, people know who I am. I mean, it's, the craziest story is like my sister-in-law works in Nashville at a, a, a high-level physical therapy company where like pros come in from the Titans and all kinds of places. And they hired a, they hired us, they have a strength, they have like a performance side. They hired some guy to be one of their strength coaches. And we were on the phone one day and he was like, is that Cody Hughes? And she was like, yeah, that's my brother-in-law. And he was like, no way I follow him on Twitter. And I'm like, well, okay, this is getting weird. Like I I'm not, I'm not a celebrity. Stop it. Like I'm just a dude. You know what I mean? Like that's weird. Um, I don't, I'm, I'm not anything special, but I do put myself out there for some visibility and it opens up avenues for conversations. And then we can, and I, I've got the opportunity now and now have a network because I did all that. If I have, if I have a question that I can't answer, I can find somebody that I can call. Like I know somebody, I can call somebody up right now and I can find an answer faster than a lot of people simply because I was willing to put myself out there. Yeah. And, and there's so many good points there. Uh, and one of the, one of the other things is like, there's two two ends where it like all of this kind of sharpens your sword the social media aspect sharpens your sword and the business aspect sharpens your sword you, you talked about the paypal and like figuring out the back end of paypal and like some of that stuff is so cool for me because you or i right now if we want to go any business right now like we have all the back end stuff we figured out all the back end stuff so it, even if it's completely out of the fitness world like we can set up a business you know like we know how to do that i think that's so valuable and it's like you can learn all these skill sets, which is something that I, I geek out about is like learning these other aspects that can, that can apply and help in other aspects of your life and like help in setting up businesses. I talk to a lot of like business, young business owners now too, that have nothing to do with the fitness world, but you can help them with, okay, it's like, we want to set up the PayPal account this way. And we want to do automated um, uh, payment accounts. And this is how you do it. And this is how you set it up. But like those small skill sets, again, that, that you talked about, like make you valuable in different ways. But it's also talking about in, in social media, one of the biggest things is like, it make it for me, it makes you a better coach, like makes you a better communicator of your words. It makes you a better communicator of your ideas. It makes you figure out your ideas and like, okay, like, you thought you knew this, but now you're trying to communicate it and you can't, you know? So like, uh, Yo, you hit Peterson. the nail on the head there. Like I literally made a video yesterday about teaching the hinge that I posted on Instagram. And as I was editing that video, I was like, dude, I am blabber mouthing. This is, <laughs> this, this is going to turn out to where it could have been a three minute video when it should have been 45 seconds. Why am I more, more direct with my words? Why am I not getting, giving value now rather than all this filler stuff that I think I don't know. Right. When you start to put yourself out there, because it comes with a lot of accountability from the from from this the media world, you actually have to own how you're communicating. And well, do I know this stuff as well as I think I do in my head? Can I get it out of my head and help another coach? Like I literally just went through that yesterday. I'm still doing it. I'm like, man, be more direct. Be have be a little quicker, especially in this world of social media. Where, I mean, if, 
how many times do you scroll a post if you look at it for about four seconds and it doesn't pique your interest and you scroll again? Well, that's what I'm trying to battle. If you scroll in the timeline and, and my post comes up, how do I get you to stop and look? And I ran it. It's like I literally ran an experiment and I was like, all right, I know a lot of coaches are home at seven o'clock and people think, oh, you're doing this for the, for the likes. You're doing this for the sharing. No, I'm doing it for the value, right? Because I know it's valuable. I know people need to be able to teach the hinge better. So I put it out there. Um, let's see if I can find it. Um, and I thought I got to come up with a caption that catches somebody's eye. And it was real simple. I said, teach the hinge three quick drills with like a po point. And then that was my video. And dude, it's got like over almost 15,000 views in 15 hours. I was like, well, I think I, I think I just demonstrated the value of it quicker so people could catch their eye. And then they actually got to watch the video and they're like, oh, this is good. I'll share it. There's been plenty of times I've shared videos where I was too mouthy and I, I didn't demonstrate the value quick enough or effective enough for people to actually want to even click on it in the first place. They just kept scrolling. Right. And it comes back to another thing on social media. If you post about an idea once and it doesn't hit and you give up on it, what are you doing? Like you understand that psychology and research shows that in order to get sold on something, you need seven to 10 exposures before you can even think about actually doing it. Right. How that's why 75% of all advertising on television is pharmaceutical because big pharma they're putting it in front of your face over and over and over and over and over again. And it's sitting in here in the back of your head. Like, why am I not putting out content, 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 content where they're actually like, wow, this guy, Cody seems like he knows he's doing Wow, Austin's podcast is really awesome. I'm seeing clips of it all the time. I'm seeing it being shared. I'm seeing it on Instagram. I, it keeps coming across my feed. What's this thing about? And then they dig and then they find the value. And then they've already convinced that you're valuable. So name your price. I mean, that's 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 what I see. And it's a win-win. It's got to be a win-win. At the end of the day, there are snake oil salesmen, snake oil seedmans. I, I can say that. That's funny. <laughs> but, uh, all out there. They're, they're there. And, and, and don't, and a lot of people get defensive because they do exist, right? But if, if you're good at what you do, if you solve problems, problem solvers get paid. I always say that. If you solve problems, you get paid. That's just, that's just the truth. Like if you can help people and you can solve problems and you can make somebody's life easier, you will get paid. And that's just, that's just how this world works. Boom. Well, coach, that's freaking awesome. I know you got to go here in seven minutes, but th that was, that was freaking sweet. This podcast is baller. I got like 17 notepads of uh, notes that I got to go through. So I'm excited Love to it. go back through this and make sure I get all the notes, but I just want to thank you for taking the time to come on. Um, we might have a, we got an hour, hour 40 on here of just content. I feel like we could talk for three hours, but this was awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, man. I, I love being on it, man. I, I love what you do. I want to make sure, you know, you, you're doing a great job by just, you know, putting yourself out there and doing this podcast I've been following you for a while. A lot of respect there. I get a lot from it, especially all the stuff that you put out and your shift in perspective too. It's helped me a ton. So just being able to come on and, and express my my opinions and my my rabbit holes and my rants, man, this this is fun for me. So I appreciate you giving me that opportunity. Thank you, Coach. Thank you guys for listening. Keep chopping wood. Thank you for listening. Join us next week as we dive down another rabbit hole. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a five-star rating. Follow us on Instagram at Austin Yoakum to stay updated on future podcast guests. Keep chopping wood.